The date is June 22nd, 1988, and we're watching Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Welcome to I Used to Like This One. and welcome to I Used to Like This One, the show where we take a look back at movies we remember fondly from our childhood and attempt to look past the nostalgia to see if they still hold up. My name is Sean Wells, and with me, as always, is the Roger to my Eddie. Hello, I'm Colin Stewart. Please, Eddie. Please, it's Colin Stewart. And this week, we are celebrating Easter. Now, if you ever Google Easter movies, there's not a whole lot to choose from unless we get into all the super religious movies. So we brought in a movie with a bunny. I figured that was Easter-y. And we also brought back a friend of ours for this episode, a young man who you will be hearing more from in this summer's Paw Patrol the movie, Will Brisbane. Welcome back, Will. Hey, guys. It's a pleasure to be back. Oh, man. This is a movie I'm very excited about. Uh, holds a very special place in my heart. Nice. I'm excited to have you back. I'm wondering, though, are you allowed to tell me yet who you're playing in Paw Patrol? <laughs> no, but nope. soon, soon. Soon. Okay. Okay. I was wondering. I was wondering how long it was going to take Sean to ask. I was like, is he gonna? Is he just gonna play it cool this time, or is is it gonna be the whole podcast being like? Uh... <laughs> and so, Will, you're playing. Yeah, no, I, I had to come out of the gate swinging on this one because, quite frankly, it's uh, it's on top of everyone's mind. Anyone that listened to our Land Before Time episode is probably like, oh, man, who is this kid playing? But we'll, right. have, to, we'll have to have you back one more time when you are actually allowed to announce it. Right, yeah. We should have Will back and we should do Homeward Bound. Homeward Bound. <laughs> Well, uh, we're looking at August yeah, the- 20th, 2021 release date. So pretty soon, you know, all the promotional stuff, you know, coming out, uh, I'll be able to reveal my character. Fingers crossed. Nice. So this week, we're looking back at June 1988 when the movies and theaters were Bull Durham, The Great Outdoors, Red Heat, Big, and of course, our movie for today, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which earned $329.8 million on a $70 million budget. The $70 million budget, this made it the most expensive movie of the 80s. Wow. Wow. And as you would expect, we will be dropping spoilers like cartoons drop safes on your head. So be prepared for that. (laughs) And if you don't want the movie to be spoiled for you, then please just hit pause now, go watch it, and then come back and hear what we have to say. So the tagline that appears on the poster for this movie is, It's the story of a man, a woman, and a rabbit in a triangle of trouble. I guess, sure. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's appropriate, yeah. Yeah. I did find an alternate. This one I don't quite understand, though. It's Jeepers! Look who's returning to theaters like never before. So I was confused about it at first, but from what I can find, in 2019, this movie was re-released in 3D. Like, how did I never hear about this? 2019? Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember that at all. But this, of course, may not be the best description of this movie. So let's go to Colin and do a 60-second synopsis. All right, here we go. 
In a world where the cartoon characters we know and love walk among us, Eddie Valiant is a private detective with a bad drinking problem, still mourning the death of his brother at the hands of a toon years before. When Valiant is hired by movie mogul R.K. Maroon to investigate the reported infidelity of his star toon Roger Rabbit's wife Jessica, he uncovers a salacious game of patty cake between Jessica and the owner of Toontown, Marvin Acme. The news of his wife's betrayal sends the rabbit spiraling into despair, and when Acme is found dead the next day with a safe dropped on his head, Roger is the prime suspect. Will Eddie be able to untangle a web of lies and help Roger prove his innocence before he's caught by Judge Doom and the Weasels and thrown into the dip? Let's find out on another episode of I Used to Like This One. Right on. Yeah, now, for me, this is the movie that got me into movie magic. I, I had a book. I, I remember a TV special that I, I taped on my VCR. I, I have trouble watching this movie without seeing the behind-the-scenes stuff because I, I was so fascinated with how they were able to blend animation and real-world action. This this was the one for me. I love this movie. I love the behind-the-scenes stuff. What about our special guest, Will? What kind of history do you have with Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Well, the first time I saw this movie, I think I was around 11. And, you know, I just thought it was hilarious. And, you know, the visual effects, obviously, for the time period, and even today, they were pretty, pretty great, you know, just to be able to blend like that, it took a lot of confidence. um, Obviously, nothing that had ever done before. Um, So yeah, and then I watched it again for the second time earlier last week. And I was like, wow, you know, this definitely is still a very good movie. And I'm excited to talk about it today. And now you being 11 the first time, how much more did you pick up this time when it came to the adult humor? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I definitely saw that this movie was not just meant for kids. (laughs) (laughs) So, Colin, what about you? What's your history with Roger Rabbit? Yeah, so like I mentioned to Will, I think, before we started recording, I remember watching this movie when I was five or six years old. So that's like almost 30 years ago. Yeah. And not really paying any mind to it, like not really thinking it was anything. I remember not really enjoying it or liking it all that much, even though I really liked that, like Tiny Toon Adventures, Looney Tunes, mm-hmm. all that Disney stuff was right in my wheelhouse at that yeah. time. Animaniacs. And I think, Animaniacs, yeah. yeah. And I think I, uh, I think when I was a kid, I just wanted more of the cartoons. I was kind of annoyed about that there was all these real people in it. <laughs> and, so, and so as a kid... I just kind of like swept this movie aside and I didn't watch it again until I watched it yesterday to prepare for this recording. And so it was one of those movies where I was like, why didn't I like this? It was amazing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like even the the animation or whatever and how Mm -hmm. well it's done, I was shocked. I thought it was going to be, I thought it was going to be like, I I didn't really think that the animation was going to hold up at all. Mm -hmm. So I was, I was pleasantly surprised by this movie. Well, I guess that's probably the advantage with the fact that it's 2D animation, where the animators were actually hand animating over the frames of this movie, rather than like outdated computer effects, right? Like it's, Mm -hmm. those would not have held up from 1988. Oh, no. Yeah. Alrighty, well, let's jump in deeper into Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's directed by Robert Zemeckis who is famous for Back to the Future, Forrest Gump, Welcome to Marwen, Castaway, Death Becomes Her, Polar Express, all these movies that are kind of cutting edge with what they do. So Roger Rabbit definitely falls right into that category. It's produced by Gary Watts, 
who is a producer on Alive, the first three Indiana Joneses, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi, on Deadly Ground, American Tale, Five Goes West. And it's also produced by Frank Marshall, who is a producer on all the Bourne movies, Hook, all the Back to the Futures, Arachnophobia, the Indiana Joneses, Jurassic World stuff. And just for good measure, Frank Marshall isn't alone. We've never really talked about him alone. He does also have the backup producing from Steven Spielberg and Kathleen Kennedy, who also get producing credits, but they're executive producers, not the official produced by. It's written by Gary K. Wolf, who wrote the novel This Movie is Based On, Who Censored Roger Rabbit? Uh, this is actually a trilogy of books, because there's a follow-up called Who P-P-P-Plugged Roger Rabbit? which was from 1991, and Who Whacked Roger Rabbit, which was from 2013. So hmm. I'm surprised there was never a sequel to this movie. Right. I mean, I'm surprised in theory, but if there were to have been a sequel to this movie, it would have had to come shortly after. Like, the one thing watching this movie that I'll say is it, I could never, it could never be made today in a world of, like, all these, like, licensing agreements. Yeah. And oh, intellectual yeah. properties and studios... That was kind of the thing. I don't even really understand how it was able to be made in the first place. Mm-hmm. To have all those cartoon characters from different spheres all under one umbrella. I definitely did read some more into some of those things. And so I, I have some interesting tidbits peppered into my notes coming up. So I'll definitely get there. Yeah. But you're right. It is a logistical nightmare. I mean, look at how hard it was to get Spider-Man into the mcu yeah. something yeah, they yeah. owned <laughs> yeah yeah like that's exactly what i was thinking you know if more if more studios or if like a roger rabbit type deal could have been created just willy-nilly there would have never been a need for like a marvel studios yeah because sony and fox and all these other people could have just came together at any time and made you know you could have put the x-men with spider-man and all that but yeah. they never wanted to do that so yeah hey guys let's cooperate huh Come yeah. on, let's give people the best entertainment idea. possible. Yeah. Oh, and I should also mention, though, like that book, the, the follow-up book came out three years after this movie. So, you know, hmm. like yeah. it, it was a prime time for a sequel. Like this guy, the, the author decided, hey. <laughs> yeah. No, I think uh, I think it definitely would have been a hit and probably a missed opportunity by Disney to rack in some cash because it definitely would have smashed based on the first one. Yeah. As for screen credits, he only has nine total. However, all but four of them are Roger Rabbit related. The other ones are The Toll, Ranger Raccoon, Loverbot, and Killer Bowl. Those last two are quote-unquote in development. So he's sold his books to to be made into more movies, but they don't exist yet. Uh, it's also written by Jeffrey Price and Peter S. Seaman, who have identical credit lists, Wild Wild West, the Jim Carrey Grinch movie, Last Holiday, Doc Hollywood, Shrek the Third. So we open this movie on soulful, jazzy music, creating the mood that is reminiscent of film noir. But after the title shows, the music abruptly changes to an upbeat cartoon, intro song, and we get a title card for a maroon cartoon, Baby Herman and Roger Rabbit in Something's Cooking, directed by Raul J. Raul. I love this cartoon. You know, just yeah. the, the premise is simple. It's very much like a classic cartoon. You know, Roger has to keep an eye on Baby Herman or else he's going back to the science lab and then all hell breaks loose. Yeah, I find it's like the sequence of disastrous events that occur. I find it's very reminiscent of like Tom and Jerry or even like itchy mm. and scratchy. It's pretty funny. Yeah, it's and such a beautiful animation to watch. Right. Like, yeah, the whole kitchen is just really cool animated. 
Yeah. Roger Rabbit is voiced by Charles Fleischer, who was in Dick Tracy, Back to the Future 2, Nightmare on Elm Street, Gridlocked, <laughs> Tupac Shakur classic, and a lot of TV. I was actually a little surprised to see he has very little animation voice work. But in this movie, he also voices Benny the Cab, Greasy, and Psycho, which those last two are weasels. Right, okay. You know, there there are all sorts of continuity errors in this cartoon, though. It's so not realistic. I mean, come on. <laughs> you know, let's let's ground it in reality, guys. <laughs> right. But then then we get the transition to the real world, which is also incredible. The director yells cut because Roger Rabbit is supposed to see stars, not birds. Stars. That's what the script says anyway. So baby Herman storms off now talking like an old man and complaining. He'll be in his trailer. I didn't understand why the director was blaming Roger. Like, how is he? Is he in control? Is he in control of what he sees, whether he he sees stars or birds? Right. (laughs) That seems to be the idea, because, like, later on, he's going by hitting himself in the frying pan and getting everything but birds. So, (laughs) no, I thought it was interesting, like, the way the director was making it sound when he was like, oh, this is the 23rd time. It made it sound like this was, like, the first time he was telling Roger to see stars. And I was like, well, it's kind of your own fault then. (laughs) Yeah. Well, maybe it's like a singer, though. You know, you you have to be able to hit that high C and those are the stars. Like, you know, a tune kind of has their everything kind of tuned to that to be able to do that. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. I don't know why, but the first time that you hear Baby Herman talk in that voice... It was shocking to me. Yeah. Even though, even though I, ex- I feel like I should have expected that something like that was going to happen. The yeah. cartoon was so engrossing that mm-hmm. I thought still, even though I've seen this movie before, I was still caught off guard when all of a sudden it pans back and like real people are walking into the scene mm-hmm. and now the baby's talking like an old man. Yeah. yeah. The whole like transition from like baby to old man. I think that's like one of the most underrated gags in the movie. Like it's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I also love like the fridge once it becomes a real fridge, like how all all the food is painted to look like a cartoon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Baby Herman is voiced by Lou Hirsch, whose biggest credit is 50 episodes of an early 2000 series called My Hero. And because I watched this on DVD instead of Disney Plus, I got to see the uncensored version where Baby Herman flips off Roger as he leaves. <laughs> <laughs> What? Nice. I, wa- I watched the Disney Plus version. Yeah. Yeah, as did I. Yeah, as he goes under the woman's skirt, he flips off Roger. So oh. that's one of two changes I know about in the Disney Plus version. The The other change is the infamous Jessica Rabbit crotch shot. Oh, yeah. So in the original theatrical release, she wasn't wearing underwear. And then when the DVD came out, they changed it so that she had painted underwear. And now Disney has just completely like reanimated her dress so that there's never any up the skirt shot. Right. <laughs> so I, you know, I had to pause to make sure it was still there on my DVD. That's all I'm saying. That's that's the point I'm getting at here. <laughs> Raul is also played by Joel Silver in a cameo. We've talked about Joel Silver a few times. So now this is where we see Eddie Valiant taking his, this all in and muttering, psh, tunes. And he's played by Bob Hoskins, who was in Nixon, Hook, Mermaids, Brazil, Unleashed, which is my favorite Jet Li movie. If you haven't seen Unleashed, you're missing out. And then he also has not-so-good credits like Super Mario Brothers, Son of the Mask, 
Garfield, A Tale of Two Kitties. And sadly, Bob Hoskins' last movie, <laughs> which was the shitty Kristen Stewart-led Snow White and the Huntsman. Oh, what a legacy to go Come out on. on. I love that movie. <laughs> oh, ouch. But maybe it's, maybe it's just me. <laughs> <laughs> I did also read that Eddie Valiant could have been played by Robert Redford, Harrison Ford, but he was too expensive, Sylvester Stallone, Jack Nicholson, Ed Harris, Wallace Shawn. That one's inconceivable to me. Huh? See what I did there? Eddie Murphy, Chevy Chase, Danny DeVito, John Travolta, Mickey Rourke, Richard Gere, Robin Williams, Michael Keaton, Dudley Moore, Michael Bean, Gene Hackman, Joe Pesci, Robert De Niro, and Bill Murray. Those were all people that were considered for the role. Bill Murray was the one that was closest to get it. But if you've heard anything about Bill Murray, he's notoriously hard to get a hold of because he doesn't have an agent. He has a 1-800 phone number. And so they left messages for Bill Murray and he never got back to them. So they went ahead and cast it without him. And there is actually a story that he like actually screamed out loud when he found out he didn't get the part because he totally would have taken it. A Bill Murray one would have been interesting. I would have loved to see that. Yeah, I was going to say my choices would have been between De Niro and Harrison Ford. Yeah. Joe Pesci, though, would have been very Bob Hoskins. Right, yeah. Yeah, see, I don't really know anything of Bob Hoskins other than this watch of this movie. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just envisioning like I Harrison Ford or De Niro because they're both really good at playing like angry guys. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know that they would necessarily have had the comedic chops that that role required true but harrison ford does have like that film noir background because the original blade runner is basically a film noir too oh yeah that's yeah, that's, that's true. true yeah so rk maroon is upset because the rabbit is blowing his lines he's distracted he shows eddie an article about roger's wife jessica being seen on the town but eddie doesn't work toontown he says Maroon wants to hire him just to take some photos. She sings at the Ink and Paint Club. Just find her in a compromising position. So Eddie will do it for a hundred bucks. I went to the inflation calculator on this. That's a little over $1,200. Decent. Yeah, for a few pictures. Come on. Yeah. Maroon is writing the check. We get the first of many of our animated character cameos because Dumbo is on loan from Disney. And the best part is they work for Peanuts. But um bum That was very, I thought that was very funny. Dumbo is voiced in quotation marks by Frank Welker, who, since the last time Will was on the show, has three new credits, bringing him to a staggering 862. Holy wow. But this is a perfect example of what I was talking about in Land Before Time, because he's literally just making elephant sounds, because Dumbo doesn't talk. Yeah. Right, yeah. Maybe that's how, uh, you know, he's, he's made his career, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, Frank Welker will continue to get credits as long as Transformers exist. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so Maroon only gives Eddie 50 of the dollars. He'll get the rest when the job is done. And he's going home now. And the trolley operator won't take a check as valid fare. So Eddie hitches a ride on the back bumper with a couple of kids also riding that way. I, I love I love this moment. Just the the way that, you know, the people that he's compared to are kids hitching a free ride. Right. <laughs> hey, mister, don't you got a car? They ask. And who needs a car when we've got the best public transit system in the world? This is a little bit of foreshadowing. And then he gets his, to his stop. He thanks the kids for the cigarettes and goes into the bar across from his office. And in the bar, we see that Eddie is kind of Norm from Cheers. These are his people. We find one guy, Earl, passed out on his table amid beer bottles because he got laid off. We find out Cloverleaf bought the red car, putting him out of work. 
But those beers, guys, well, they're Budweiser beers, and I think that means it's time for Sponsorship Corner! Yes. So, always on a lookout for product placements. Uh, there are a few here. Who Framed Roger Rabbit is brought to you by Budweiser, Wild Turkey, Coca-Cola, Pacific Electric Red Car Line, The Los Angeles Chronicle, White King Soap, Czech Cereal, Planters Peanuts, Hurdy Gurdy Pinball Machine, and Lucky Strike Cigarettes, and a special shout-out to Cloverleaf Industries. And this has been Sponsorship Corner. You're not going to give a shout out to Acme? The Acme Corporation? Oh my god! Yeah! <laughs> yes! Oh, yes, I 100% should have. Whoops. Oh well. So, Eddie has actually come to the bar on a mission. His camera is in the shop, and he needs to borrow a camera from Dolores, the barkeep, slash romantic interest, maybe? It's, it's, yeah. a, it's actually a little tough to say, because their relationship status is never quite fully explained, and it's left a little enigmatic. No, there's just like a lot of like strange tension between them. But like there are a lot of questions left unanswered. And I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Well, Dolores is played by Joanna Cassidy, who was in Blade Runner. Look at that. Chain Reaction, Vampire in Brooklyn, lots of TV, including recurring roles on Six Feet Under and Diagnosis Murder. Uh, Her most recent credit is in a 2020 short film called Weekend at Jesus's. (laughs) <laughs> which is described as Jesus's disciples cart around his dead body to try to convince people he's risen from the dead. She plays Mary of Nazareth. So there's our Easter connection right there. Weekend at Jesus's. Wow. <laughs> Sounds like is... weekend at Bernie's. Yeah. Yeah. That just goes to show you that anything you imagine can become a movie. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. There's no, there's no bad idea as long as you have enough money to make it yourself. Exactly. <laughs> Eddie is showing off his payday to Dolores. It sounds like he owes her money, which is where she gets even more enigmatic. The rest is coming. Look at the name on the check. This is legit. And then some guy named Angelo comes in and overhears about Eddie working for Maroon and starts mocking Eddie for working for Toons. He doesn't work for Toons and kicks out Angelo's stool and stuffs a hard-boiled egg in his mouth before storming off. Angelo is confused. What's his problem? Dolores tells the gang around her. A toon killed his brother. You'd think this would be more public knowledge, though, considering they all know each other by name. But they all looked so stunned at this reveal. Yeah, no, agreed. You know, they do all seem pretty close. So I think Eddie must have told somebody other than uh, Dolores. So Eddie now travels to the Ink and Paint Club with Dolores' camera. It's a speakeasy with the password to get in of Walt sent me. The bouncer, who is a giant animated gorilla, lets him in, but Eddie, for some reason, can't resist taking a jab at the bouncer by saying, nice monkey suit, wise ass. I, like, why? Why, Eddie? Do you hate tunes that much? Um, something about the ink and paint club scene that I just really like, it's when Donald and Daffy Duck are kind of playing the piano, but like they're kind of rivaling each other. And I was like, oh, that's, that's actually pretty funny to see <laughs> them doing that together. I thought it was pretty cool. Well, and this is a perfect example of one of those deals that Disney and Warner Brothers made. Warner Brothers agreed to let their characters in 
as long as they had equal time on screen, which is why you get this dueling piano scene. That's, that's why it's Mickey and Bugs that are falling from the building later on, because that way they're on screen for the same amount of time. Even at the end, it's like you've got Porky Pig saying, that's all, folks. And then Tinkerbell closes it all off. So Yeah, yeah the, Daffy, the Daffy Donald scene was hilarious to me just because I love, I love them jabbing at each other. I can't remember, I think it's... Can anyone understand what this duck is saying? <laughs> yeah, Donald's making fun of his speech impediment and stuff like that. And then, yeah, it was just hilarious. Yeah. It kind of it also sh- was funny to see how similar the characters are in certain ways as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they are. And we get the Daffy, this means war as well. I just, how cool is this place though? Like animated penguin waiters and, and the dueling pianos performance. Like, yeah, I would love to be in a club like this. I, I would be there every weekend. It does seem pretty cool. Yeah. I want to, did you guys, do you know, are the penguins and the, uh, the gorilla bouncer, are they from something or are those like original animations? The penguins are from Mary Poppins. Mary Poppins, yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know about the gorilla, but yeah, the uh, the penguins are from Mary Poppins. I guess the inside joke there is that like Walt Disney discovered them as waiters and put them mm. in his movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was kind of the first ever cross uh, real and cartoon. So yeah, well that they added that little penguin in there. That's true. Yeah, I I never actually made that connection. Yeah. Yeah, because that was such a big deal having that scene in Mary Poppins, and that was in the '60s. That was a great scene. That's still to this day. I was thinking about that. Yeah. So Eddie meets Marvin Acme, the joke guy, who was played by a guy named Stubby K, who was in Guys and Dolls back in 1955, The Way West 1967, Sweet Charity 1969. Towards the end of his life, he has like one credit every couple years, and his last two credits were this. And then an episode of American Playhouse, which was exactly the same as Alan Tilvern, who played R.K. Maroon. They have the exact same two last credits. But he had a recurring role on Doctor Who before this as well. Hmm. Marvin Acme squirts Eddie with some ink, which turns out to be disappearing invisible ink in the only special effect in this movie I can't endorse at all. (laughs) (laughs) The the ink disappearing, it's it's a pretty cheesy special effect. Yeah, it's kind of... Kind of weird. Yeah. He also shakes Eddie's hand wearing a hand buzzer. This guy would be fucking annoying to hang out with. Oh, my <laughs> God. Acme would be the worst person at a party. Yeah. Yeah, Acme, Acme, I thought that the same. I was like, this guy's just too much. I'd be like, sit down. Like, sit down, stay away from me. I'm going to go sit over here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Another thing about the Ink and Paint Club scene is when uh, Eddie's talking to Betty Boop. Uh-huh. When she's like, Oh, I'm out of work because they went to color. Yeah. Like Mickey Mouse was once in black and white and he went to color. So why didn't Betty? It's just, it's, it's, it, I don't know, it's silly. To is, think it like, is it like uh, plastic surgery? Maybe Betty Boop just can't afford the upgrade to color. Yeah. No, it's, it's, uh, it's just like a little, little line, but it gets me thinking, you know? Yeah, it's also kind of like a comment on the actors that couldn't convert to talkies when those first came out. Mm -hmm. So Eddie sits down at a table and orders scotch on the rocks. I mean ice! It really gives you an idea of the kind of goofy place you're in. (laughs) Right there. One line tells you everything you need to know about what kind of place you're in. Exactly. Yeah. I love the subtlety of the line. And just like Will mentioned, this is when Betty Boop comes up. She's black and white and working as a cigarette girl in the club. And she also knows Eddie. Uh, She was, by the way, played by the original Betty Boop, Mark Questel, who was 80 when she reprised this role of Betty Boop. 
That's amazing. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. I did not know that was the same Betty Boop. Wow. It was, yeah. And Mel Blanc, who was also 80, reprised his roles of Bugs, Daffy, Porky, Tweety, and Sylvester. Wow. Yes. He didn't do Yosemite Sam. Because I guess his voice didn't do that anymore, so they had to bring in an impressionist for Yosemite Sam, but all the other ones he did. Well, nice. They got the whole gang back together, I guess. And this was for Mel Blanc. We were impressed by Frank Welker. This is Mel Blanc's 1,186th credit. He has wow. 1,196 lifetime, but his most recent credit came in 2020. So, like, Mel Blanc may cross 1,200 credits one day. He's alive still? No, 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 no. He's He died only a couple years after Roger Rabbit. But anytime, like, think, growing up, I watched the Bugs and Bunny Tweety uh, show. Yeah, and, yeah. and then there was, like, something in Roadrunner show. So it's just every time they bring out something like that that shows his old animation work, they have to give him a new oh, credit. Oh, credit? Yeah. So wow. is he the original voice of all those characters? He is, yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I was just thinking that the one thing this movie was missing, I would have it would have been awesome if they could have got the Hanna-Barbera cartoons in there as well, like had the Flintstones and Yogi Bear and uh Huckleberry Hound and Jetsons. Yeah, most of those didn't come around till the 50s though. So it's a little All bit right, out of the, the movie's era. set in the 1940s, that's yeah. right. Or even 60s maybe for Flintstones. I don't I don't remember. Right. But while Eddie and Betty Boop are chatting, the lights go dark, everyone gets super excited, he sees Mr. Acme getting all primped, and he comments to Betty Boop, got a thing for rabbits, eh? But she comes out, and she definitely ain't no rabbit. It's only her surname. <laughs> and Eddie says she's married to Roger Rabbit, and we get Betty Boop saying, yeah, what a lucky gal. Like, <laughs> what is Roger's appeal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, like, I mean it's not it's not PG to say so. I'm just gonna leave it to the imagination. <laughs> his his thing is he has really long ears. Ears. <laughs> that is very true. He does. <laughs> yeah, and very ticklish whiskers. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so Jessica does her sexy song and dance, coming down into the audience and getting all flirty with Acme and then Eddie. And we hear one of the background actors makes this sound that sounds super dirty when Jessica looks like she's about to kiss Eddie. He's like, "Oh." <laughs> 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 when the performance ends, Eddie follows Marvin to Jessica's dressing room. He's peeping through the keyhole when the gorilla bouncer finds him. And he says, what are you doing, chump? Who are you calling a chump, chimp? But the bouncer throws him out of the joint. And and then the best insult Eddie can come up with is booga booga. Like, <laughs> it almost seems racist. <laughs> that, was what I thought, that was what I thought when I watched it. I was like, it, for some reason, it just almost seems... It's not racist, but it seems racist. Yeah. <laughs> But Eddie realizes he can see the window to Jessica's dressing room, and he climbs on a crate and starts snapping photos, and they're playing patty cake. And then we cut to Roger, upset about the patty cake. I love the transition, like, as he's flipping through the pictures, and, like, he's basically animating the patty cake session as he's flipping through the pictures. Yeah, I love I love the reveal that it actually was a game of patty cake. Again, yeah. it's one of those things, so simple, but so funny. Yeah. He's just heartbroken. It's just funny. Yeah. And there's no, like, hidden innuendos either. It's literally just patty cake. <laughs> yeah. 
The rabbit is distraught, so they give Roger a drink to calm his nerves, and this turns out to be a mistake because all hell breaks loose. Roger cannot handle his liquor and basically turns into a rocket. After his episode, Eddie tries to console him. You'll find someone new, Roger. New? I don't want someone new. Jessica's the only one for me. You'll see. And he bursts through the window, leaving a perfect rabbit-shaped hole in the blinds and the window. And Roger is depressed in a quick scene in an alley with him crying and looking at a photo of him and Jessica. And I love that. I, I love the sad, please. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I could do that. That's that please stutter that that's that's a great talent. Yeah, it is pretty funny. So then we cut back to Eddie getting back to his office slash home. There's more soulful, jazzy, noir music playing. We see that the pictures that were already on the camera are from a vacation. And he's flipping through these memories when he is punched in the heart because he gets the pictures with his brother and and he gets super sad. And then the backstory here becomes a little more layered. And I must say, for how out of reality this movie is for the most part, Bob Hoskins' performance here is so subtle and so grounded and just like absolutely amazing like it's a it's a it's a chef's kiss mm-hmm. like he just tears up and it's it's so great it's very overshadowed by all the other events in the movie but it is still very good mm-hmm. i also love the choice of having the untouched desk in the office that belongs to his brother and and the camera pans across the desk showing their whole history of their life together in a series of photos it's very clever how it's done yeah i really like that This panning across the desk also becomes a time transition because by the time the camera has done its lap, it's morning. Eddie is passed out on his own desk and at the bottom of a bottle. A cop named Lieutenant Centino, played by Richard Le Parmentier, who was in Star Wars, Superman 2, Octopussy, he wakes him up. He's disappointed in Eddie and his choice of clients. Eddie is confused, so Centino enlightens him. Marvin's Acme, the rabbit, cacked him last night. I had subtitles on. Cacked. C-A-C-K-E-D. Have you ever heard that word before? No. <laughs> no. There was a few words there was a few words that I enjoyed in this movie, but probably the, the main one was at one point Eddie calls somebody a stoop. A stoop, yeah. Which I that's that's my like go-to insult whenever I call <laughs> want to call someone stupid or whatever. I just say, Are you stoop? And I've never known where it came from. I don't know where I picked it up. It's just something that I've always said, and I felt like I had discovered the origin of the word watching this movie. This That's weekend. right. This this has been lying dormant <laughs> yeah. in your brain for for thirty years. Yeah, but see, I even think though the word "cat" just sounds so descriptive when you think of like the sound a safe would make if it lands on someone's head and hits a concrete floor. Like that's almost cat this is almost onomatopoeia right here this is almost you know the sound effect that that safe made right yeah i wonder what's i wonder what the sound a safe would make i'm thinking it's wetter i feel like it's wetter <laughs> than cat but maybe it'll happen so fast that <laughs> well for for years i thought it was capped like c-a-p-p-e-d yeah and actually yeah. kind of makes sense but with yeah with subtitles on it's like no no i did hear him right he's not just pronouncing capped poorly Now, this doesn't seem like correct police procedure, even though those pictures he saw on his brother's desk show that he's an ex-cop, but Santino takes Eddie to the crime scene. Yeah. That's always a weird, that's always a weird question I have in movies that revolve around um, private eyes and not police. Yeah. Because it always seems like the private eyes have some special right to just access a crime scene Mm -hmm. and investigate a crime scene alongside of the police, which I don't feel 
would it be the reality? You know what I mean? Yeah. But they pull up outside the Acme warehouse and Santino asks, what now? And he says, well, I haven't been this close to Toontown for a while. And then we get a quick cameo from Yosemite Sam, whose biscuits are burning. You'd think that just like Betty Boop, he would have said hi to Eddie, though. Because later we see that the cartoon gun Eddie pulls out was a gift from Yosemite Sam for keeping him out of the Hooskow. <laughs> yeah. Inside the warehouse, we see the crime scene. Santino says, it's just like a tune to drop a safe on a guy's head. Oh, sorry, Eddie. And that line seems to like a throwaway line, but later find out it actually has a lot of meaning. Right. Yeah, very true. The warehouse is full of things like portable holes, singing swords, and a boxing glove in a mallet. Kind of interesting, though, that every Acme product is animated. Does all his business come from the tunes? Like, obviously, Wile E. Coyote is an avid consumer of Acme. But <laughs> right. we, we've, we've seen real-world jokes like the ink or the hand buzzer, which he says is their number one seller. But everything we see in the warehouse is animated. I mean, I think in this universe, like... The demand for tune comedy is like much higher than like uh, a live action drama movie. So like I, I think it does make sense for it all to be animated. But what is the conversion rate for animated money? <laughs> well, it's uh, Eddie makes a joke later about when he's telling the story about how when they went to the bank, he stole like a million simoleons. Yeah, and I was like, "What's the what's the conversion rate of a simoleon to a U.S. dollar?" And is that the official currency of Toontown? The simoleon? Like, <laughs> I think if I if I lived in Toontown, I would just like draw myself a billion dollars, and yeah, yeah, because you could do that. Well, I mean, it's if if they have Disney characters, doesn't Scrooge McDuck have his own uh, his Vault own full currency? Of yeah, <laughs> right. Scrooge bucks. <laughs> <laughs> But the crime scene guys are collecting paint from the rabbit's glove, which was left behind on the rope of the safe. And Jessica, who was upstairs getting questioned, walks up to Eddie and slaps him. I hope you're proud of yourself in those pictures you took. I, I suppose I never introduced Jessica as being played by Kathleen Turner. However, for some reason, she's uncredited in this in this movie. I don't know why she didn't put her name on this. That's hmm. interesting. Yeah, for such an iconic role. Yeah. yeah. But Jessica storms off, and we get a little bit more evidence that these 1947 cops are terrible at their job because one of them is playing with the mallet, and a couple others drop a crate full of squeaking shoes and making them disrupt the body of Marvin Acme. But this causes a distraction, and Eddie sees that Marvin Acme dropped his hand buzzer, and under the pretense of tying his shoe, he stops to retrieve it, but gets stopped by the creepy Judge Doom who is played by Christopher Lloyd from Back to the Future, Clue, Adam's Family, Mr. Mom, Star Trek Three: The Search for Spock, uh, Suburban Commando, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, The Dream Team, and Taxi. I did read that Tim Curry and Christopher Lee, or Sir Christopher Lee, and Sting were all other possibilities for for Judge Doom. Sting? Sting. One of, one of those things is not like the others. That's for sure. <laughs> one of those stings. Yeah, one of those. Nice. <laughs> and from what I read, Tim Curry's audition was absolutely terrifying, they said. Well, I mean, he did play Pennywise in the in the original. That's true. Yeah. Also, so Judge Doom, when they find out later that he's like the villain and he's a <laughs> bad guy, I think they're they're gonna like be like hitting themselves that they didn't see all the signs, like fully black clothing, the spectacles, the cane, just like how he sounds. And then like he has a bunch of weasels under his employee. It's just funny. And one of the other things is Judge Doom never blinks. 
Really? Hmm. This this was a choice that they made. I don't know whether Christopher Lloyd made the cha- choice or whether Robert Zemeckis prompted him to make the choice, but he does not blink as Judge Doom. That is crazy. The only thing I thought about him is in what world do judges track down criminals other than like yeah. Judge Dredd? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It would have been it would have been so epic if at one point Judge, Judge Doom was like, "I am the law." That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Judge Dread, uh, Judge Judge Dread, Judge Doom is upset that Eddie is trying to remove evidence, so Eddie returns the item by hand buzzing the judge. It's the number one seller, and then we get a little exposition from Judge Doom where he says, "Ever since I've had Toontown under my control, my goal has been to rein in the insanity." So is that? his jurisdiction like he's only a toontown judge yeah that is a good point honestly though if you think about it with all like the crazy pranks and stuff that would probably be a good uh good gig for the man it's unclear what the political structure of (laughs) this town is yeah and how the law enforcement works and like who's the mayor of toontown is that ever discussed probably like mickey i would say (laughs) it's a co-co-mayorship between bugs and mickey yeah that's what they're always fighting about. Yeah, so they get equal st- screen time. That's the important part. <laughs> but but then Judge Doom's true evil self gets demonstrated when he shows them what w- Dip does with one of the cartoon shoes from the crate. He found a way to kill a tune, a mixture of turpentine, acetone, and benzene. And quite a visceral, sinister moment, I have to say. Yeah, that was actually like really terrifying and like super inhumane. And the shoe, by the way, was voiced by a young, unknown actress named Nancy Cartwright. Really? Wow. Yeah. Lisa. S- no, nope, that's Bart that's Simpson. Bart Simpson. Yeah. Bart. Bart Simpson. Yeah. I mean, a year later, she was Bart Simpson. But yeah, before this, yeah, she was an unknown voice actress and she got to play a shoe in Roger Rabbit. And that is one of the most iconic scenes now, so. Eddie goes back to his office and he gets to meet baby Herman waiting outside for him. We get some baby Hermanisms like, what do you know, you dumb broad? You got the IQ of a rattle. Or here's one that, again, subtitles, thank you. Uh, He says, the problem is I've got a 50-year-old lust and a three-year-old dinky. I always thought he said lungs (laughs) because of the smoking. But yeah, with subtitles, it's lust. Like the joke makes so much more sense now. But yeah, I always thought it was lungs. I always thought it was like an anti-smoking joke that was put in there. Right. I did too. Nope, just a perverted baby joke. (laughs) (laughs) Baby Herman is trying to hire him because Marvin Acme's will is missing. But Eddie isn't having any of that. He refuses to take the case. And he goes inside, has a quick drink, and sets his empty glass down on the pictures he took the night before. The glass magnifies it a bit and sees the will in Acme's pocket in the pictures. It is hilarious that Marvin Acme, uh, without knowing that he was going to die, just casually carried around his last will and testament. (laughs) Anyone who cared to see. As one does. Absolutely. Right, yeah. But even with this new information, Eddie still doesn't want to get involved. So he decides to go to bed instead, I guess, to sleep off his hangover or something because like it seems to be the middle of the day <laughs> he crawls into bed only to come face to face with roger rabbit who came in through the mail slot <laughs> which the whole description of how he got in through the mail slot just <laughs> yeah. just kills me 
And then I love, I love the moment also where Eddie is asking who else knows he's here. Well, no one. Well, except, and he proceeds to go down the list of all the people he asked to give him directions to the office. The newspaper guy, the green grocer, none of them knew where to find Eddie, but the liquor store guy, he knew. (laughs) (laughs) So he's trying to convince Eddie that it's a setup. Yes, he was upset when he left, but in a fit of jealousy, he wrote Jessica a a love poem. Lipstick on a fresh, blank piece of paper. A lot of emphasis on the blankness of that paper. (laughs) (laughs) Foreshadowing. And Eddie says, why come to me? I'm the guy who took the pictures of your wife. All the tunes know that the place you want to go is valiant and valiant. So dejected and realizing it's a lost cause, he sulks out the door, which turns out that that's the closet. So Eddie goes to get Roger out of the closet and Roger handcuffs himself to Eddie, cuffs that Eddie doesn't have the keys to. And then in a moment of poor timing, Judge Doom's weasels show up at this exact moment. And he says, hide me, Eddie, please. If they get a hold of me, I'm as good as dipped. I think it's funny that instead of like trying to pick the lock or like smash the window and unlock it from the inside, their first resort is like blowing through the door with a machine gun. (laughs) Yeah. Very logical. Yeah, so the weasels shoot out the doorknob and come into Eddie's place, and he's all, oh, hey, boys, didn't hear you come in, which is a hilarious line after the machine gun fire. (laughs) Eddie is doing laundry in the sink. Okay, wise guy, where's the rabbit? What rabbit? I forget what uh, what the weasel says exactly, but it gets Eddie to jam a bar of soap in his mouth, making all the other weasels start laughing. And the head weasel is furious and foreshadowingly yells at them. You know what happens when you can't stop laughing? One of these days you're going to die laughing. So much foreshadowing. I- is there this much foreshadowing in regular film noir? I don't think so. No, like that. <laughs> I was. Yeah. Well. So yeah, this this is one of those scenes where all I can see is the behind the scenes stuff because I remember that when Roger is spitting water out of his mouth every time he comes up, it's like they had a hose that came up and shot water like a sprinkler. That's cool. Hmm. Yeah, and and then just animated over this this hose. Wow. Hmm. So Eddie smuggles Roger into the bar across the street under a trench coat and Dolores gets the line, tell me, Eddie, is that a rabbit in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? That might be, you know, looking back when watching it again, that could be one of the most iconic lines in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) So Dolores has a stock room slash prohibition hiding room in the back. I I mean, why else would there be a spy hole? Yeah, yeah. He has come to borrow a hacksaw to get out of the handcuffs. So another weird leap of a conclusion, like like you said about the doorknob. I mean, here's another one. Why didn't you try picking the lock first? Yeah, no, the hacksaw is is fine, but he didn't even try and saw the chain. He was like going to saw straight through the handcuffs (laughs) without his hand. Yeah, yeah. There's no way you escape without maiming yourself doing it that way. And when uh, when Roger just casually slips his hand out of the handcuffs, that that's oh, that's hilarious. That one kills me. Yeah. Yeah. Does this help? (laughs) (laughs) And then and then it's, you know, you mean to tell me you could have taken your hand out of the handcuffs at at any time? No, not at any time. Only when it's funny. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I actually love that about Roger is that he what a great what a great driving force for a character to just constantly have to be at the whim of whatever is going to be the funniest thing to do. Yeah. And the handcuffs is another perfect example of always being able to see the ha- behind the scenes stuff is those handcuffs are actually stiff. 
Like the chain is stiff. You, If you watch closely, you'll see Bob Hoskins twitching his wrist to make the uh, handcuffs move around. So like he's got... He's got a lot going on. Like, not only is he imagining this rabbit, but he also has to, like, think about the fact that the rabbit's hand is moving around and move his own. Like, it's uh, it's kind of impressive what Bob Hoskins had to do for this movie. The animation itself, to me, is something that I was constantly just amazed by. I never really thought about how they would do it, but when you mentioned that they drew over it. Yeah. But even that is just the amount of talent that takes mm-hmm. to line things up properly and make it work. Man, it's just so crazy. And unlike a lot of stuff, like we talked about Mary Poppins earlier, a lot of Mary Poppins is done like with a flat screen, whereas this has cameras that are moving more. So they also have to take into consideration shadows and stuff because in this world, they still have to obey the real world physics of things. They're not flat, yeah. you know? Yeah, that was going to be the one thing right off the hop when the movie starts and they first start walking into the real world. I was really surprised. It was like my brain wanted me to wanted me to think that it was computer generated. Yeah. Because that's the only way I could make sense of it because they seem <laughs> like they seem still like such three-dimensional characters. Yeah. Not just two flat 2D people yeah. walking across the screen. So Eddie is busy telling Dolores that somebody's made a patsy out of him and he's he wants to find out why. And so he and her decide that they should check the probate to see whether there is a record of his will. And we get one of the many adult jokes that went over my head as a kid where Roger is talking about his uncle had an enlarged probate and needed to take these big pills. Not prostate, <laughs> you idiot. Probate. But eager to ditch Roger, Eddie asks Dolores if he can hide Roger in the bar for a couple of days. And then Eddie goes back to his office to freshen up. Jessica comes looking for Roger. She is also convinced it was a frame job. In fact, there's a bigger conspiracy at play because Jessica says Eddie was set up to take the pictures of her plain patty cake. The plot thickens. She's flirting kind of heavily with him. I'm not bad. I'm just drawn that way. There's something about the sexual tension between the men in this movie and Jessica Rabbit that is very off-putting to me. I don't know why. Like, I was just thinking, what are the logistics like yeah. could physically Jessica's, would it work <laughs> yeah like does it how does that work yeah, yeah. <laughs> so this of course is when dolores walks in and catches eddie with his pants down and she leaves in a huff and eddie catches up to her downstairs on the street <laughs> this is a this is another reason why it's like well what is the relationship status why is she jealous are they a couple i don't know it's kind of honestly funnier to leave it uh um unspecified ambiguous ambiguous yeah so dolores tells him that she was she had stopped by the probate and found out that rk maroon isn't trying to get his hands on toontown the mysterious cloverleaf company is actually going to be who owns toontown at midnight tonight if the will isn't found and they are suddenly distracted by a loud whimsical music coming from the bar upstairs Oh, shit. Roger. And they run inside to investigate. But meanwhile, the weasels are hiding in the sewer and have overheard this too. The rabbit. Get the judge. And so up in the bar, Roger is singing songs and dancing and all around bringing attention to himself. And this this is a... Here's another one for you. Him smashing the plates over his head. They actually had a mechanical arm with a post that it was smashing, picking it up with a suction cup and smashing it over this post. So that's how they were doing this one. Cool. So Eddie grabs Roger and drags him into the back room. Roger thinks he's safe. No one would turn him in because he's brought laughter to everyone, even Angelo. Laughter is the best. 
Well, while they're talking, a red light starts blinking in the back, and Eddie shuts Roger up because this light is being operated by Dolores out front, warning them of Judge Doom's arrival. And he's addressing the whole bar, saying he's looking for a rabbit, and he goes over to a chalkboard on the wall with daily specials on it and starts squeakily changing the words French dip to instead say rabbit dip. Oh, everyone's reaction is exactly how I feel in this moment, too. Like, that one's still... It makes me cringe every time, this chalk (laughs) on the board. But he says the price for this rabbit is $5,000. And inflation calculator, that's a reward of $58,650. Nice. So Angelo says, hey, I've seen a rabbit right here. Say hi, Harvey. I don't know if either of you are familiar with Harvey the rabbit. No. No, it's it's an old James Stewart thing. Like a play or a movie. Yeah, it's an old James Stewart movie. Yeah, I was reading something. It was like they're talking about the play or the movie, but it's more implied to be talking about the movie, which is impossible because the movie came out in 1991. Hmm. No, that's actually a remake. The original with Jimmy Stewart is from 1950. So the timing still doesn't work out. Yeah. Yeah. But I think they are referring to the play. Yeah, for sure. So Roger gets his I told you so moment with Eddie. Judge Doom sees the record on the player. Oh, merry-go-round broke down. Quite a loony selection for a group of drunken reprobates. I <laughs> I learned a new word. I don't know what it means, <laughs> but reprobates. The weasels are also laughing this time, and we are once again hit with the foreshadowing of if you don't stop this laughter, you'll end up dead like your idiot hyena cousins. But that can't be the Lion King hyenas that they're talking about, right? Since that was like 50 years later. Oh, yeah. That- Cross licensing going on. I think, you know, it would be a pretty funny Easter egg, and I don't think they're really worried about timelines right now. But Lion King, that's that's a 90s movie, I think. So even this movie predates the right. hyenas, I yeah. think. Yeah, it probably. Yeah, Lion King's 93, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah, I didn't actually think about that. <laughs> so seeing that the patrons of this bar aren't cooperating, Judge Doom proudly proclaims that disassembling the place won't be necessary. The rabbit is going to come right to me. No tune can resist the old shave and a haircut trick. And he starts going around the bar knocking shave and a haircut on the walls. Eddie is like, what the fuck is this guy doing? He's loonier than a tune. But he's wrong because Roger can't resist, bursts through the wall to sing two bits. And then Roger gets caught. He tells the weasels to bring in some dip. So with the dip barrel inside, Eddie gets an idea. He gets Dolores to pour a drink for Roger and convinces Judge Doom to let Roger have a last drink. And then we have the whole drink the drink, but I don't want the drink. He doesn't want the drink, which turns into the I don't, you do, I don't, you do, you don't. I do, you don't, I do. So (laughs) I love that you can play by tune rules this easily. Mm Mm-hmm. So he downs the drink and does his explosive freakout thing. And while he's rocketing in the air, Eddie takes out the weasels and spills the dip. And then I love like the subtle moment of how Judge Doom is like backing up. You know, like you see the foreshadowing of him being a tune if you know to look for it. Yeah. He grabs Roger and they get out of there and they decide to steal the weasel's truck and are looking for a way to start it when they hear a voice from the back. Benny the Cab is in there. And Roger squeezes through the hatch into the back, and he drops his love letter, which Eddie picks up and puts in his pocket. That might be important later. So they hop into Benny and zoom out of there as the weasels come out of the bar, get into their truck and chase after them, and we get a big, exciting car chase scene. I actually, I really love this car chase scene. This is one of the top car chase scenes of all time for me. (laughs) One thing about it for me, like when they're first leaving the bar, 
it takes Judge Doom and the Weasels a very long time to leave. Well, they have to get over the puddle of dip, though. They have to figure out a way to get to the stairs. So I don't even know how they got to the stairs. Yeah. Did they play Floor is Lava and jump across the tables and everything to the staircase? Huh. <laughs> and then we do get the moment where Benny shouts, pull the lever. What lever? And then the sign comes out of the dash that says, this lever, stupid. <laughs> that was pretty funny. And this causes the cab's wheels to go up on stilts like Inspector Gadget and over the weasels and they escape. And we're told, incidentally, if you ever need a ride, just stick out your thumb by Benny. Benny in this movie, criminally underutilized. Yeah. He's a great character. They could have done so much more. It's honestly a crime that they only gave him to us for like three minutes. Yeah. But those were a great three minutes. (laughs) (laughs) So they decide to hide out in a movie theater watching a goofy cartoon, which is actually a 1948 cartoon, not 1947. Oh, really? And and this isn't the only screw-up in this movie. Uh, for example, Wile E. Coyote and Roadrunner show up at one point, but they weren't created until 1950. Hmm. However, I, I, I imagine it can be justified because just because they're there doesn't mean they're stars yet. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's just that they exist. Yeah. So that one's forgivable. But this goofy cartoon, that was from 1948. Hmm. Roger is concerned that Eddie is such a sourpuss, and then we find out why as Eddie tells the complete story about a toon killing his brother while they were investigating a robbery, dropped a piano on us from 15 stories, it broke my arm, but Teddy never made it, and I never did find out who that guy was. All I remember was him standing over me laughing with those burning red eyes and that high, squeaky voice. I found out in an, in an original version of the script, you also find out that Judge Doom killed Bambi's mother. that's awesome that's funny part of me really wished that at the end when judge doom is revealed it would have been somebody that i knew yeah from from another from from some animation or whatever even like three three people like stacked on top of each other like (laughs) like like... huey dewey and louie all standing (laughs) on each other's shoulders (laughs) yeah something like that So Roger is distraught by this story, saying, no wonder you hate me. And then Dolores shows up with a car packed with Eddie's stuff. She would have been there sooner, but she had to shake the weasels. And then this is why, again, I'm confused by the relationship status, where Eddie tells Dolores she deserves a good man. But she says, but I already have a good man. Right. (laughs) I don't know. But they uh, leave to go into hiding when a newsreel comes on the theater screen and Eddie makes the connection. Cloverleaf they go back to the movie studio to try to entrap rk maroon because eddie called him and told him that they had acme's will roger is concerned when he finds out you lied he's gonna be mad he might try to kill you but eddie leaves roger as a lookout and eddie takes off and roger is doing a kind of monologue to himself about his important task and why nobody gets the drop on roger rabbit and then clang frying pan so good love it Eddie sneaks up behind Maroon, almost giving him a heart attack, and starts bluffing his way through this impromptu meeting. I like how he flashes the love letter, which we will find out actually was the will. (laughs) Yeah. Maroon finds out that Eddie is bluffing when he snatches what is supposed to be the will out of Eddie's pocket, sees it's the love letter on the otherwise blank sheet of paper, stuffs it down Eddie's pants, and holds a gun on him. And it's awfully brave for you to come here by yourself. Who said I was here by myself with the hilarious cut of Roger being thrown into the trunk by Jesse? <laughs> i love the logic of knocking him out to keep him safe that she has later on though <laughs> yeah 
Back to Eddie, who gets the jump on Maroon and disarms him and is trying to coerce a confession out of him using that film machine. Well, Maroon confesses, but not to the murder of Acme, to blackmail. That's all. He didn't want to see the tunes destroyed. But before he can get the full confession, Maroon gets murdered with a big, long-barreled gun. Like, when I was, like, watch this movie for the first time, I was like, whoa, what? It was, like, came out of nowhere. But honestly, makes a lot of sense. And Eddie rushes to the window to see Jessica running away from the scene. Uh Uh-oh. So Eddie chases after her in his car, and they're heading towards Toontown. Eddie stops just outside the tunnel entrance, hesitating about continuing on. But then out of his trunk, he pulls out an animated revolver, asking the animated bullets, feeling frisky tonight, fellas? And then Eddie goes to take a swig of courage juice, but it's this moment that he decides to climb out of the bottom of the bottle. He pours out the rest, throws his bottle in the air, and wastes one of his six cartoon bullets. Those cartoon (laughs) bullets are very funny. Extremely stupid. (laughs) Well, and... Is this native bullet racist? I'm I'm not sure. Yeah, when he pulls out the oh, yeah. Talk. <laughs> yeah, the the actor is white. Like so it's cultural appropriation. But the other question, what exactly is the point of the cartoon gun other than getting some funny moments here? Because we already know that dip is the only thing that can actually kill a tune. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it is just for the for the for the gag. Mm-hmm. So he gets back into his car, drives through the tunnel, and we transition to Toontown. And Toontown would be so hard to drive through. Oh my god, it's like an acid trip. (laughs) The horizon (laughs) is constantly rolling. There's shit everywhere. And then suddenly, boom, you're in the middle of a city. (laughs) I thought like before they went to Toontown, like I thought we were in Toontown the whole movie. And then they went there and it was like, what? Whoa, no, this is Toontown. Yeah. Yeah. I thought Toontown was like kind of like this studio village or whatever yeah. kind of like uh i don't know what i thought almost like almost like a, a studio not not n- yeah not like a necessarily like an actual town mm-hmm. of cartoons yeah right but also like there's no security checkpoint or anything yeah. it seems anyone can come into toontown you think you'd come across more real people in toontown visiting because like that seems like a pretty cool and free family activity to do also i think uh if doc if uh sorry not dr doom (laughs) (laughs) franchise if uh judge doom ever found out about those low security protocols he could like commit mass genocide in toontown right yeah what if if he just went with like a fire truck and just sprayed dip like all around the place (laughs) yeah and it would it it would especially be a cool place considering that like regular physics don't seem to apply here even for a human. Like, he yeah. falls off the top floor of, like, this ridiculously high building and just bounces. Yeah. No, he, he gets caught, I guess. Doesn't he get caught? No, he bounces and then into her arms. And he does bounce, yeah. Yeah. Eddie follows who he thinks is Jessica, but it turns out not to be. We get more Toon cameos from Droopy Dog, Mickey Mouse, Bugs Bunny, and Tweety Bird. And, and I read that Disney wanted to use, like, the authentic 1940s designs of these characters. Same with Daffy earlier, but Warner Brothers hmm. wanted to use a more current design. Hmm. So they would send dummy footage to Warner Brothers for approval. That's awesome. And then switch the style for the final film. <laughs> That's funny. Imagine piling all that extra work on your animators too. It's like, okay, yeah. this is just this one's just for fun. Put put in 1980s Bugs Bunny there, you know? Yeah. Uh, and nowadays, do you think computer animation characters are incorporated into Toontown or do they have their own land? No, I think they'd be incorporated. I think it's probably all inclusive. Well, I was trying to think like the only comparable thing 
to Roger Rabbit in current day that I can think of is Wreck-It Ralph. Wreck-It Ralph! That's exactly where my head went, too, yeah. Right. But obviously, I don't think you don't have the Warner, but you have, like, all the all the Disney princesses and then, like, the Sonic and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And so, I feel like Toontown would have got upgraded to be, like, kind of an internet city like, like Wreck-It Ralph's world. <laughs> right. So, through all the silly pursuit of this scene... Eddie comes face-to-face with Jessica holding a gun, but she actually uses the gun to shoot Doom, the one that actually killed Maroon. This is where Eddie asks, what do you see in the rabbit anyway? He makes me laugh. Long ears. (laughs) Jessica is wondering where Roger is. He chickened out at the studio, and she says, no, I hit him in the head and threw him in the trunk to keep him safe. But Eddie's car is crashed. Jessica has been stolen by Roger. Better lover than a driver. <laughs> and she says, you don't know the half of it. <laughs> but, and if you look at what they're crashed into, they're crashed into a crate called overused gags. And like the things that are walking around are like chattering teeth and stuff like that. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so they end up hailing Benny when Eddie sticks out his thumb kind of by accident. Kind of like Harry Potter summoning the night bus in uh, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Kind of all by accident. During the ride of Toontown, Jessica provides a big exposition dump about the will and knowing that it was doom, and and they emerge back in the real world just to promptly have a barrel of dip spilt across the road, and Benny spins out of control and gets knocked out when he hits a pole. Eddie and Jessica fly out of the car, and I got to see the underwear. (laughs) Eddie and Jessica have been captured, and we are back at the Acme factory for the diabolical evil plan to play out. The weasels fall victim to a very literal booby trap, but um bump. <laughs> a very clever pun, I will say that. <laughs> Judge Doom comes in asking if they have the will. No, just this stupid love letter. And then we cut back to Roger, and he has found Benny, and Benny fills him in on what happened and kicks Roger out of the driver's seat, and they drive off to go try to rescue him. This is definitely one of those moments you must have been talking about earlier where Benny is so great that he's the car driving the car. but back to acme judge doom's diabolical plan is revealed in another little exposition dump judge doom is sole shareholder for cloverleaf industries and he bought the red car so he could dismantle it and he is going to build a freeway right where toontown is and he has five thousand gallons of heated dip pumped with an enormous velocity through a pressurized water cannon toontown will be erased in a matter of minutes Mm -hmm. and then with the villain done monologuing Roger comes geysering out of a pipe in the floor because he fell in a toilet earlier, and Roger is holding all the bad guys at gunpoint. We may act idiotic, but we're not stupid. We demand justice. Why, the true meaning of the word probably hits you like a ton of bricks. And cue the ton of bricks falling on him. (laughs) Who stores bricks in a net suspended from the ceiling? Yeah, this movie does. I'll say that. Yeah. Yeah. It does not surprise me that that would happen. But in yeah. Toontown, maybe. But like in the real world, I don't know. Oh, in the real world, you'd probably go to prison. That's like a lawsuit waiting to happen if that, if they ever fell. That's how in Home Alone 2, that's how the other wet bandit got all the bricks in his head. That's right. There would be no, there would be no OH&S like official that would condone bricks just being stored in a net on yeah. the roof. I don't think so, no. <laughs> you put that on a pallet. Yeah. <laughs> And then, of course, I love the callback, though, that once he does get hit by the bricks, it's, look, stars. Yeah. So Judge Doom gets them to tie the lovebirds together and use the escape-proof tune rope 
So they're tied suspended from a hook in, in front of the deadly squirt cannon truck. And while leaving his diabolical trap to play out, he exits. And as he's exiting, he slips on some spilled fake eyeballs. And he gets up covering one of his eyes, which is a touch I love because his eye probably actually did fall out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the weasels are laughing their asses off. And he yells at them as he leaves on the weird elevator platform thing. I don't think this would be approved by OH&S either. (laughs) An elevator with no railing at all. Yeah. Yeah, that would, that's an accident waiting to happen. Yeah. I actually, I think back to like the Family Guy Star Wars episodes where, where they have the stormtroopers standing around saying like, a railing, that's all I asked for, just a railing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But as he's leaving, he yells at them, one of these days you idiots are going to laugh yourself to death. And oh my, Eddie gets an idea with a ding nonetheless. <laughs> Eddie taps into his aloof side and does a funny stunt show with a calliope, tumbling, juggling. Uh, However, the pogo stick into the light fixture seems like one that could have actually been legitimately dangerous. Like, especially for a human. You're not in Toontown anymore. Yeah. How are you not dead, Eddie? Yeah. The weasels are being laughed to death. And then we get the line from one of the weasels, Nose? That don't rhyme with walls. No, but this does. And Eddie kicks them in the nuts. <laughs> I, I don't quite understand, though. Are the weasels actually dead now that they're ghosts? Um, hmm. Oh, they, yeah, that is actually a good point. Because even the one ghost weasel is able to flip the lever to turn the hose back yeah. towards Roger later. So he, he, he can still you know, affect physical objects. Well, I think it goes back to what Roger said about uh, getting out of the handcuffs. You know, the weasels can only defy the laws of death for comedic purposes. (laughs) (laughs) So we've got high stakes action going on with the dip spray. Judge Doom comes sliding down zip line style with a sword. Eddie grabs an animated singing sword, which is a useless weapon. Just good for a couple laughs. So instead he grabs a giant animated magnet, but this backfires because all it does is pull Judge Doom towards him by his sword. (laughs) (laughs) When they're like getting sprayed and they're like dodging all like when Roger and Jessica are getting sprayed and they're like, it's not hitting them. Yeah. The spray is not hitting them directly. I have to think there would be some splash damage that would hit them and that yeah for sure so i mean this is a cartoon and like but i'm gonna be you know devil's advocate here also i think it would have probably been better uh instead of using the spray cannon to just like drop them in like a tub of dip then probably judge doom would have won yeah yeah So with Judge Doom coming at him with his sword being attracted by his magnet, this makes Eddie turn the magnet around, get himself pinned to a barrel, and Judge Doom says, don't move, and he grabs an Acme steamroller to crush Eddie. Uh, Luckily, there are portable holes nearby that he uses to escape, and Eddie comes at Doom with a big barrel of Acme glue, and in a bad turn of events, he glues his fist to the steamroller, and Eddie turns off the engine to the dip truck just in time to save Roger and Jessica. But meanwhile, Judge Doom gets run over by the steamroller. What? Doom's still alive, but flat? Holy smokes, he's a tune. And Eddie says that lame brain freeway idea could only be cooked up by a tune. <laughs> but then this is the moment where he reinflates himself and pops his eyes out. And remember me, Eddie, when I killed your brother? That scene really, uh, oh, yeah, that one's a slight bit 
terrifying. Christopher Lloyd played it really well. And and even having like the hypnotic swirls in his eyes. Yeah. I talk yeah. just like this. Yeah. I just like how menacing he looks. It mm-hmm. took me a long time as well. I didn't say this before, but it took me a long time to realize that was Christopher Lloyd. Okay. Because I've really only ever seen him in Back to the Future. Yeah. And I've really only ever seen the first Back to the Future. And I've really only ever seen the first Back to the Future one time. So. <laughs> just keep piling on that. So for the lo- yeah, so for the longest time, I was just kind of looking at him. I was like, man, that guy looks familiar. <laughs> but in Back to the Future, I mean, he's so like wild and crazy. Yeah. It was cr- it was kind of cool to see. And that's really all I'd ever know Christopher Lloyd as being kind of this like wild kooky guy. Yeah. It was weird to see him be this like dark, you know, like real, like he oozes evil, yeah. <laughs> even though he's technically kind of the good guy i guess until now even but. even back in the day in something like taxi he was kind of a kramer type character in taxi as far as i can remember yeah it's been a while since i've seen taxi yeah i think the only other movie i've seen him in is um the page master okay but he's still very like he's very similar to that kramer-esque like kooky scientist yeah character so Judge Doom turns out to be kind of a crazy, evil Inspector Gadget with his his anvil hand and his circular saw hand. <laughs> like, who is this guy? That is a good question at the end. Who is this guy? Mm-hmm. But Eddie ends up using the mallet boxing glove to release a valve that empties the dip tank, sprays Judge Doom. He's being dipped with the, I'm melting! Ah! <laughs> Is that now, is that a tribute or a ripoff to Wizard of Oz? I'd say a little bit of both. Yeah. Yeah. The dip truck breaks through the brick wall. Toontown is on the other side, and they open the main hydrant valve, which floods the floor and washes away all the dip. Jessica and Roger are safe. And then Benny shows up at this time with cops. Took him a long time to get back with the cops. Hey, don't take away Benny's hero moment. <laughs> There you go. And then it's the, holy geez, what happened here? That's what I call one seriously disturbed tune. And the stain reappears on Eddie's shirt from the club earlier. And we find out that, I guess, one, Eddie only owns one shirt. (laughs) And two, that it's disappearing, reappearing ink that he was sprayed with earlier. Like, I don't understand the selling feature of reappearing ink. Yeah. Well, I remember, like, invisible. I mean, yeah, I don't know what the point like I always remember, like invisible ink, yeah, that you could read, that you could read with like a black light or whatever. Yeah. When I was a kid, and people would like write in their journal, and and then you could read it with the black light. But <laughs> I don't know. This was one of those things in the movie where I was like, to Will's earlier point, why is Marvin Acme just walking around with his will in his pocket at all times? Mm-hmm. And then it was kind of just the loose plot planning of this movie led to this point where they're like, oh. What's what's a what's a fancy way that we can tie up all these threads in one? We need to tie up Eddie's Eddie's brother's murderer yeah. because that was mentioned that was mentioned before and it wasn't really a big thing until he explained about the the evil red eyes. Like even that when Doom is revealed to be it's kind of like it didn't need to be. Yeah. You know, it didn't need to be and we don't even explain like what like so all he was at that time was a bank robber. Like that's 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 the end. Of, he seems like much more than just a bank robber. Yeah. And so it's kind of there are a few things in this movie that are like that where it's just like oh we just need to we mentioned this so maybe we can now make it something and we'll tie up the loose end. Well, the robbery might have been his way of kind of buying his political office that he has now. He oh just, yeah, with all the simoleons. All those simoleons. <laughs> <laughs> 
This is the point that Eddie says, hey, Roger, why don't you read that love letter now? And it turns out to be the will. And the will states that Toontown is to be left to the tunes. And Eddie pulls the old switcheroo. He fools Roger into thinking he's still a sourpuss, except he ends up kissing Roger. All, all the weight of his solving his brother's murder has suddenly made uh, Eddie whimsical. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like the Grinch. His, his heart grew three sizes that day. That's right. Yeah. Jessica says, come on, Roger, let's go home. I'll bake you a carrot cake. Roger and Jessica and Eddie and Dolores are walking off into the animated sunset. I read that they were hoping to have a lot more characters here. So this is what I was kind of talking about earlier where there was so much negotiation going on. They tried to get characters like Little Lulu, Casper the Friendly Ghost, Felix the Cat, Tom and Jerry, Popeye, and Superman. Those are just some of them, but they weren't able to secure the rights. So the fact that Warner Brothers jumped on, that's a huge deal because like all these other guys, they could not get. Yeah. And then we get Porky Pig saying, dib, 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 that's all, folks. And then he says, hey, I like the sound of that. That's all, folks. And this is another continuity error because Porky had already been saying that for several years at this point. I was just about to say that. Yeah. he. The first time he used that catchphrase was in 1939, I think. I didn't write it down in my notes, but it was in the 30s. You know, it seems like this could be the genesis for the line, but... Yeah, he'd, he'd already been doing it for several years. Yeah, bad researching on uh, Disney's part on that one. Yep. And then Tinkerbell closes the whole show because touchstone and the end. And that is Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Now, Colin, Will, on IMDb, it scored 7.7 7 out of 10, has a meta score of 83. On Rotten Tomatoes, it has 97% on the tomato meter. That's awesome. <laughs> that one's certified fresh for sure. And an audience rating of 84. Uh, again, or with both of these, the critics like this more. That is shocking. Yeah. But Colin, those are just numbers. Like an animated boxing glove to the face. Why don't you hit us with some reviews? All right, here we go. From Rotten Tomatoes, Lester E, five out of, nope, sorry, scratch that, four and a half out of five stars, says that although Roger Rabbit has been a character that the Disney company has almost completely buried and forgotten for a long time, he was an important part of the company and was very well represented within the Disney parks. And this was thanks to this movie. This movie is legendary because it was one of the first movies to combine real actors with cartoons, and the actors in the film were pretty good as well as the animated characters had excellent voices. And although it is not totally for children, I will recommend it forever because I, th I think it is one of the best Disney movies of all time. I wouldn't disagree. I mean, if if you think about it as a Disney movie, yeah, I, I, I can get behind that statement. You think of, you know, classic Disney, this one definitely... Just the style. Yeah, it's definitely up there for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, I hope I'm not pronouncing this wrong. Sajak H, sure. four and a half out of five stars, says, As a kid back in 1988, I was already blown away. And now, many years later, I still am. Hoskins is great and totally immersed in the story. The way Roger interacts and empathizes with him is beyond comprehension, especially when you realize he's just a hand-drawn character. The special effects are so flawless that you'll totally forget it's all just smoke and mirrors from minute one till the last. Yeah. Oh yeah, this is this is the one that I, I identified with the most. Johnny S says five out of five stars. Simply put, Who Framed Roger Rabbit is not only one of the best films ever made, but a shining example of what Hollywood can achieve when it gets out of its own way and creates. Oh. 
Kind of like uh, our sentiments at the beginning when it came to Marvel stuff and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. The last one I have is from an unnamed user who gave it four and a half out of five stars. He says, Toons and life action meet in a way not even CGI does right sometimes. Clearly standing out in an era that had animation movies struggling, it's adult enough to be properly enjoyed by all audiences, and it tugs all the right nostalgia strings to spark a longing for old school animation. There's a death, danger, a goofball, a bitter detective, and one of the most curvy and seductive <laughs> leading ladies ever to have been drawn that way. So what's not to love? You know, what's funny is I kind of look at Jessica Rabbit when she first comes out and just in the face, there's something Christina Ricci about her. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I don't know. Right on. So, yeah, high scoring film here. Will, what did you think about this viewing of Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Okay, so this time I definitely caught more of the not only the innuendos, but also some of the jokes, you know. A lot of the funny jokes I understood, and it just, the second viewing, it was incredible. What I would score it, out of 100%, probably in 93, the animation is near perfect. Um, there are barely many mistakes. Some of the ones I was pointing out were just me being devil's advocate. Yeah. No, this movie is really close to my heart. And the fact that it inspired such an iconic attraction at Disneyland in uh, Orange County, California. Yeah, yeah ride that one hours on end except you do get sick after a while the whole spinning spinning cars thing but it is yep. great so yeah 93 percent. there we go 93 sounds good nice colin what about you uh yeah i can get on board for that like i think this movie going into it just remembering really viscerally not enjoying it as a small child mm-hmm. i was shocked by how much i love it like i think i honestly would call it a masterpiece i'm surprised i know people love it mm-hmm but even for how much people love it, I feel like they should love it more. Yeah. You know, like, I feel like it should be held held up as, like, an iconic movie, not just, like, oh, yeah, that cool movie. Remember that? Like, Agreed. I think it's I think it's a masterpiece. It's almost a travesty that this is not on the AFI Top 100 movie because it's so groundbreaking and it's a well-constructed movie. It's simple, but it's a well-constructed movie and has so much. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what I think. I think it's like a good movie. Like it's the type of movie that I feel like should be taught. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it should be taught about. It's a case. It's like a good case study movie for what a good movie is. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, like I just the one thing to back to that review about like Hollywood getting in its own way is that's just kind of what it made me feel like. I was just watching this movie and I just thought about the potential. Mm-hmm. That was just squandered after it and how difficult it seems to make good movies and like cross brands yeah. these days. And I mean, I love like I love old school animation, like the animation from that 1980s, 1990s animation is my favorite. And I love like the old stuff too. Like the I love Bugs Bunny, the Flintstones, all the Disney stuff. But yeah. it's just I feel like there's like a it, it made me I guess the best way I can describe it is it made me wish there could have been more yeah you know like i wish i wish i could see like a movie that would have the ninja turtle the old school ninja turtles and he-man and transformers and gi joe <laughs> all, all my old like just like my saturday my old school saturday morning cartoon warriors interacting with something like with real people on the screen like that or something like and that. and computer animated so. characters like they they need to make that sequel of all the movies that it should be clamoring for a sequel it's this one because now you could set it in a more modern day 
Mm-hmm. And and yeah, and bring in all these other cartoon characters. Yeah. yeah, for sure. I do think there is something to the 2D. I don't know why. It's probably because I grew up with it. I don't dislike CGI. Like I love Pixar for sure. Yeah. But I miss that 2D animation. Mm-hmm. I miss those movies a lot. And I wish there was more of them. And this one is such beautiful 2D animation. Like the way that they pull yeah. it off. The, it coined a new phrase when they did this, it was something like, I forget exactly, moving the lamp or something like that. And it it refers to that scene in the back room where they're sawing off the handcuffs and Eddie keeps bumping his head on the overhead lamp and they have to animate in shadows and, and different light sources and stuff like that. So, right. yeah, it's it's such beautiful 2D animation, but it is 2D animation and that's that makes it incredible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... Uh, I'm right up there as well. I love this movie. And now viewing it as an adult, I'm not quite ready to show this to my kids because Judge Doom, I think, would be a little too much for them. But I I can watch this movie and get a whole new level of appreciation out of it because I'm no longer looking at just the funny cartoon stuff. I'm looking at the rest of the story. And like the fact that I noticed how amazing Bob Hoskins' performance was when yeah. when he sees the picture of his brother... It just hit me on a whole new level. And yeah, this movie, I'm still, yeah, mid-90s. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, there we go. That's Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And that's our show for this week. A big thank you to our returning guest this week, Will Brisbane. Will, if people want to find you out there on the old interwebs and become a fan of yours before your Paw Patrol movie drops, where can they find you? Well, so you can find me on Instagram at HollywoodWillie. H-O-L-L-Y-W-O-O-D. Uh, oh, wait. Hang on. Sorry. Uh, wait. <laughs> I forgot yeah, my you're spelling. There. You're there. Yeah, we'll take it again. H-O-L-L-Y-W-O-O-D-W-I-L-L-Y. Spelled phonetically. And you can find me on Twitter at Will Brisbane. W-I-L-L-B-R-I-S-B-N. No capitals. No spaces. Alrighty. Did, did you skip over the I? What? You said B-N. Oh, shoot. Okay, well, thank <laughs> you. Yeah, W-I-L-L-B-R-I-S-B-I-N. There we go. There we go. <laughs> right on. Thanks for joining us, Will. If you like that show, one thing you can do to really help us out on the business end is, well, just tell your friends. Share our posts. Word of mouth is really important for a podcast. Or if you want to go above and beyond and take a moment to go to whatever app it is you listen to your podcasts on and give us five stars. It doesn't really matter what you say, but those five stars, well, they just drive us up the charts and they help us get noticed. And be sure to check out our website, www.iustolikethisone.com. There you can find links to all our podcast episodes as well as all our social media we post on instagram we post on facebook we post on twitter so go check it out see what we have to say check out our memes give us some likes give us some comments give us some shares but just give us something (laughs) (laughs) and if you would like to be a producer of the show and donate to us you can go to patreon.com slash I used to like this one and become part of our Patreon community. I used to like this one is created by host by and produced by Sean Wells and Colin Stewart. It is edited by Sean Wells music by Lyndon Carter. Look for his band Carter and the capitals anywhere you listen to music. Thanks for listening and join us next week when we take a look at another movie on I used to like this one.